<laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. Today is May 22nd, 2021. And Dan and I are going to finish up Genesis with uh, a, a brief uh, uh, conclusion to Genesis 41. And uh, then we'll go through Genesis 50. And then we'll start Exodus. And uh, about, we may not start Exodus uh Per se, uh, we'll do a little intro for Exodus on the Pharaoh who, um, okay, (laughs) there's a tango, (laughs) the the last tango in Paris, no doubt for all those who who got this shot. All right, Dan and I were just talking about a couple of videos, internet videos, one where the uh, people getting a particular uh, shot their their shot site the vaccination site is is magnetic and so little magnets the refrigerator magnets stick to your arm where uh you, you get the shot and uh there uh, a bit shoot video about a guy who uh is uh, radio well radiating his uh, astrazeneca information whenever he walks by a tv that happens to be on It'll display his AstraZeneca shot information on this screen, on his cell phone, on his computer, et cetera, et cetera. So these people are walking radiation. You have to have a radiation meter now, Dan. And uh, that way you can find out who's got the shot and who hasn't. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Now, did he get the, the one or the two? I don't know. AstraZeneca whether that's one or two shots, but that's been uh, banned in a lot of countries, Uh, apparently not in America, Uh, but uh, because that's the one that's been causing blood clots. So people who uh, get either any of those shots are going to be walking uh, time bombs. That's what they're going to be. So I I feel sorry for people who are, you know, getting the shots and uh, there's not much you can do about it, folks. All right. So uh, let's get to the conclusion of of Genesis 49, where Jacob buries uh, 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 his uh, his wives, etc. And his sons carry on uh, into, you know, the into Genesis and uh, we pick it up in Exodus with more information about uh, the Israelites, not Jews, the Israelites and their captivity in Egypt. Okay, over to you, Genesis 49, the last few um, sentences that are about uh, Jacob and... uh, Jacob's death and burial? Yes. Okay, that'll be uh, starting with verse 28. Right. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is it, that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone, according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. Okay, and let me just interject here uh, because <clears throat> it seems to be um, uh, confirmed throughout Scripture that the only uh, interaction that we're supposed to have with non-Adamites, especially these uh, these Canaanite people, 
is commerce. Other than that, we have to have nothing to do with them, as obviously the episode uh, with the um, rape of Dinah showed that we shouldn't make any contracts with them, right? Shouldn't promise them to they could have our women, blah, 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 right? But commerce is permitted. Everywhere you go in Scripture, commerce between the Israelites and the Canaanites is permitted, but, no, but just about nothing else. Okay, back to you. Verse 31, <clears throat> there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they, they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into, his, into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Okay, so... Chapter. Yeah, very good. So this implies that he's got lots of relatives, friends and relatives up in heaven or in the other dimension, <laughs> because it says he was gathered unto his people after death. So anybody who doesn't believe that we survive death in the spirit, here, right here is proof. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay. All right. So uh, now I'm, I'm very curious as to whether this cave still exists. And it must still exist unless someone found it and destroyed it. You know, so uh, between now and next week, maybe we can find out whether that, that cave has been discovered. All right. So Genesis chapter 50. Chapter 50. <clears throat> and Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were, were fulfilled for him. So for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and went with, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house. Only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. Now, it's interesting, the comparison between the uh, Hittites, uh, obviously being Canaanite, Canaanites, and the Hamites. So it's real obvious at this point, before the, uh, Egyptian, I mean, the Israelites became enslaved by succeeding pharaohs, they had no problem uh, interfacing with the Hamites. Okay, the only objection was that the Egyptians did not like uh, shepherds, <laughs> right? And we'll find out a little bit more about these shepherd kings in a later episode. But uh, what we've got going here is that uh, Joseph had no problem interfacing with the uh, Egyptian pharaoh who was a Hamite, that is a white Adamite Hamite. Okay, the only difference was the religion. Okay, so 
And then when the Israelites become a nation, and then Yahweh gives them instructions <clears throat> not to deal, this is much later on, with the Egyptians, not make any covenants with them. So here, obviously, Joseph is having to make deals with the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh, being his superior, gives him uh, permission to do this, that, and the other. But uh, there was all kinds of interfacing between Joseph and this Hamitic king, who was obviously an Adamite. We have no problem dealing with Adamites wherever they are. It's just the non-Adamites that uh, our relationships must be curtailed. Back to you. Uh, can you check your connection? You keep, uh, I don't know, on my end, you keep kind of fading in and out. Oh, really? Okay. A little bit, yeah. I don't know if anybody in the chat room uh, yeah, yeah. notices it. Yeah, it might be because uh, uh, I know uh, people on the other end on Skype uh, have that, and um, it's, uh, but it doesn't appear to uh, be on the recording, so it's got to be the my connection with you on Skype, okay? Okay. I assume, okay. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 50, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company, and they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did, according, did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan. And buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. And will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? <laughs> but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph, okay. well, all right, all right. so uh, if, if your little brother is elevated above you, <laughs> uh, maybe it's Yahweh. Maybe Yahweh has had that in mind. Okay, so just roll with the punches and uh, don't hate your brother because he is elevated above you. <laughs> all right. Especially don't try to kill him. All right. Yeah. Or, or because he makes a prophecy that uh, that his uh, his brethren will bow down before him, which they did right here and several other times in Genesis. Back to you. Verse 22. 
And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Wow, so the generation that begot you know, the 12 tribes of Israel uh, all passed away. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, uh, so now we switch from this scene where Egypt was good to the Israelites to a, a completely different scenario in the book of Exodus. But before, before we get into the book of Exodus, let's uh, read from uh, an article. I'll put, the, I'll put the link in the chat room about uh, how uh, there was how the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, uh, how did he come into, uh, into being? And this is an article from the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So it's the uh, LDA uh, Mormons. Is that the Mormons or is it a yep, different? It yeah, is. that's the Mormons. Okay. And uh, their opinion on this subject. So uh, go ahead, Dan, take us through it. Okay. <clears throat> Israel sojourned 430 years in Egypt. Recent archaeological discoveries and increasing knowledge about languages and cultures have helped us understand that sojourn as never before. The biblical account accurately portrays two ancient civilizations, which were at first allies, then bitter enemies. It takes us from Joseph, who rose to power under the Egyptian dynasty, known as the Hyksos, up to dire bondage two dynasties later under the Pharaoh Ramses II. The Hyksos were Asiatics who ruled Egypt for about a century and a half. The name itself means rulers of foreign lands. Okay, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if they got this correct. I think the Hyksos were earlier, and, uh, and uh, the word Asiatic would be incorrect because uh, they were definitely from uh, you know, the Mesopotamia. Adamites. Yeah, they were Adamites, not Asiatics, all right? Yeah. So it's possible that there were some Canaanites mixed in there because Canaanites were used as slaves by various other cultures, okay? So, and, uh, but the Canaanites, who were the Canaanites? Well, they, they were the offspring of Mithraim. They, they were um, you know, descendants of Ham, but they, they married into, Canaan married into the uh, Kenite people that were already living in that area. So uh, the Canaanites would have to be considered to be a mixed race of people who never lived in Egypt, to my knowledge, uh, certainly never ruled in Egypt, but uh, they would have had a presence there. That's, that's the most I'm willing to concede. And so uh, I think they're wrong about the Hyksos, the, time, the timing, whereas uh, you know, the, the uh, attempt by the Hyksos to overcome the Egyptians, I think, was a little earlier. Back to you. The Hyksos were a conglomeration of ethnic groups who infiltrated Egypt over a long period in ever-increasing numbers, 
probably from Canaan. And again, we've said that Mm -hmm. that's probably not true. By about 1720 BC, they controlled the eastern delta of the Nile and had established their capital at Avaris. By about 1674 BC, a Hyksos king with the Semitic name Salitis occupied Memphis, the ancient capital of Egypt. The Hyksos constituted the 15th and 16th dynasties, adopting the style and bureaucratic institutions of the traditional pharaohs. Okay, yeah, so they they conquered the northern end of Egypt, and this is uh, roughly 100 and... uh, 150 years before the Abrahamites moved into Egypt. It was around 1500 BC when the uh, Israelites were captive in Egypt. So, yeah, so the the Hyksos ruled much earlier. So I don't know why they're saying that the uh, Hyksos were involved with Joseph. Uh, You know, that's that's an odd statement. They got that timing wrong. Back to you. Gradually, Semites replaced Egyptians in high administrative offices. The rise of Joseph to power and the migration of the Hebrews fits in well with what is known of the era of Hyksos rule. The Hyksos never seemed to have dominated Upper Egypt, where a native family retained control. This family became a 17th dynasty and operated out of Thebes. One of the last kings of this dynasty, Sequinin, R.E. II, began to organize the resistance against the Hyksos. From the state of his mummy, which showed that he died at about age 40 from a series of horrible head wounds, and from the fact that he received the title the Brave, it has been assumed that he fell in battle. His son, Camos, continued the struggle and succeeded in driving the Hyksos out of Upper Egypt and in recovering Memphis. Amos, brother of Camos, completed the liberation of Egypt. He inflicted a crushing defeat on the Hyksos by capturing Avaris and driving them back into Canaan. Amos, who lived from approximately or 1552 to 1527 BC, founded the 17th dynasty of pharaohs and inaugurated the new kingdom, in the course of which the country reached the height of its power and magnificence. Okay. Now, it's interesting. You know, the land could not have been called Canaan until after Ham had Canaan, right? And Canaan uh, moved into that area uh, virtually right after the flood. Okay. So from, uh, well, let's say 2100 BC, that uh, Canaan moved into that area and mixed with the Kenites, who subsequently became called the Canaanites. Okay. So uh, these people, uh, now it's quite possible that the Hyksos were driven into Canaan, uh, but not back into Canaan, as the author says, because I don't think they were Canaanites. I don't think they were Canaanites at all. They might have had Canaanite slaves, but I would really hesitate in calling the Hyksos a Canaanite people. Back to you. The Hyksos occupation was a humiliation for the Egyptians that had a profound effect upon the national psychology. Thenceforth, Egypt was acutely conscious of the perils lurking in the outside world. The danger of foreign invasion, especially from Asia via the eastern delta, could never again be smugly ignored or underestimated. Furthermore, the Semitic population was not driven entirely from that region and was perceived as a danger to the security of Egypt. 
In light of the situation, the anxiety of the new Pharaoh about the rapid growth of the Israelite presence in the strategic Delta region is understandable. Look, the Israelite people are much too numerous for us. Let us then deal shrewdly with them so that they may not increase. Otherwise, in the event of war, they may join in our enemies in fighting against us and rise from the ground. Exodus chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. Scriptural quotations are from the uh, Jewish Publication Society's New Translation of the Bible. A close reading of the final pages of Genesis uncovers intimations of a deteriorating situation. The domicile of the Israelites in Egypt is not regarded as permanent. Most striking is the contrast between the private funeral of Joseph and the public state funeral earlier accorded to his father, Jacob. Joseph's family did not have the influence with the Egyptian authorities to secure for him a similar privilege. Moreover, Joseph himself seems to have been aware of the gathering storm clouds, for his dying words are, God will surely take notice of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When God has taken notice of you, you shall carry up my bones from here. Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. The kings of the 18th dynasty, from approximately 1552 to 1306 BC, lived in Upper Egypt and operated out of Memphis or Thebes. They neglected the delta, apparently begrudging any expenditure on the region that had been the base of the hated Hyksos. However, toward the end of this period, attitudes began to change. Haramhab, from 1333 to 1306 BC, the last pharaoh of the dynasty, renovated the temple of the local god Seth in the eastern delta. Okay. The first effective king of the 24th dynasty, Sethos, from 1305 to 1290 BC, built himself a summer palace just north of Avaris. Ramses II, successor to Sethos I, wholeheartedly shifted the, the center of Egyptian government to the eastern delta. Not long after his coronation, he announced the foundation of a new capital city to be built around his father's place near Avaris. The new capital was named after himself, Pi Ramesses, Domain of Ramses, the first element was often dropped, so that the city was simply known as Ramses. One text reports it to be a beautiful district without its like. It is full of supplies and food every day, its pond with fish, and its lakes with birds. Its meadows are verdant with grass, its banks bear dates, its melons are abundant on the sands. Its granaries are so full of barley and emmer that they come near to the sky. Its ships go out and come back to mooring. <clears throat> this lavish praise bestowed upon the city of Ramses recalls the words of Genesis chapter 47, verses 5 through 6 and verse 11. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, The land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them stay in the region of Goshen. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers giving them holdings in the choicest part of the land of Egypt in the region of Ramses. Okay. Now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 47, five through six and 11. Okay. Yep. Which we went to. Okay. Now take a look at the statue of this Pharaoh. Now who do I, I guess they don't identify which Pharaoh it is. However, 
Take a good look at the pharaoh's facial features. Is that a Negro or an Adamite? That is an Adamite. That is an Adamite. <laughs> All right. As are the vast majority of statuary in Egypt. The absolute vast majority. And uh, there was one brief reign of blacks, very, very late. I think it actually succeeded after the Greek pharaohs of Egypt. But the only depictions of blacks in Egypt are as workers, probably slaves. Okay. There is no such thing as black pharaohs. Not until way after biblical times. Okay, so and if you go, if you see any documentaries of Egypt and you look at the facial features of all the statues, you will see they are almost without exception Adamites. So this notion that the Egyptians were black is sheer Jewish poppycock. Back to you. In other words, Ramses II built his capital in the very area of Israelite settlement. This pharaoh achieved an unrivaled reputation as a vigorous builder on a prodigious scale. His vast public projects required an unlimited supply of labor, a high degree of organization, and the constant production of brick, masonry, and other building materials. The pharaoh could find a large pool of manpower at hand in the Israelite population, and he proceeded to exploit it fully. So they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built garrison cities for Pharaoh, Pithom, and Ramses. Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. The enslavement of the Israelites was not domestic bondage, the type in which an individual becomes the chattel of a private master and lives in his household. What we are dealing with is state slavery, the organized imposition of forced labor upon the male population for long and indefinite terms under degrading and brutal conditions. Gee, uh, you think the feminists might have objected to that? (laughs) (laughs) The men so conscripted received no reward for their labors. They enjoyed no civil rights, and their lot was generally much worse than that of a household slave. Organized in large work gangs, they became an anonymous mass losing all individuality in the eyes of their oppressors. Oh, now maybe that's why people ascribe communism to the pharaohs. But no, it was just plain old slavery. Yeah, because there wasn't any communism for the Egyptians. It was just oppression of the Israelites. Yeah. From Egyptian texts, we can surmise that the Israelites were requisitions to maintain the irrigation ditches, dikes, and canals having to clean out the mud deposited by the inundation of the Nile. They were put also to work in the fields. The lives of the Israelites were especially embittered with harsh labor at mortar and brick. Exodus chapter 1, verse 14. The frantic building activity in the region of the eastern delta called for the organization of a brick-making industry of unprecedented dimensions. The brick walls that encircled towns often reached a height of 60 feet. The ordinary private dwellings and the administration administrative buildings were mostly constructed of brick. Studies done on the pyramids of Sesostris III at Dasher calculate that the structures took about 24.5 million bricks, bricks to construct. Egyptian papyri and paintings yield a clear picture of the technique of the working techniques involved. The industry would be located by a plentiful supply of water usually a pool or canal. Some laborers would do nothing but cart the water back and forth all day. 
Others would be employed in the collection of stubble from the fields. The artisan who actually molded the bricks would receive from the workers baskets of water-soaked clay mixed with stubble. He would then shape the material either by hand or in a rectangular wooden mold. The brick would be left to dry for about three days and then would be turned over. The entire process took about a week. Huh, so they don't even have to bake them. They're just baked in the sun. Very interesting. A practiced artisan in present-day Egypt, where the same brick-making technique as employed from the time immemorial can still be observed, is capable of turning out about 3,000 bricks in the course of a seven- to eight-hour working day. Such a quota imposed on raw slaves would constitute an intolerable burden. A leather scroll from the fifth year of Ramses II tells tells of 40 men who were each assigned a quota of 2,000 bricks making a supply, a total supply of 80,000. The text shows that the target was rarely reached by any of them. One inscription accompanying wall paintings from the days of Thutmosis III from approximately 1490 to 1436 BC depicts Asiatics making and laying bricks and bears the ominous line from the mouth of a taskmaster. The rod is in my hand, do not be idle. The satire on the trades says this of the brickmaker and builder. He is dirtier than vines or pigs from treading under his mud. His clothes are stiff with clay. His leather belt is going to ruin. His sides ache since he must be outside in a treacherous wind. His arms are destroyed from techni- with technical work. What he eats is the bread of his fingers, and he washes himself only once a season. Well, that's when they let him, right? Yeah. <laughs> one one bath every three months. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like being in the military <laughs> out in the field. And I, again, they're using the word Asiatics very loosely here. So uh, Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, back to you. One byproduct the Pharaoh hoped to achieve through this enslavement was a reduction in the male Israelite population, but it did not happen. The more they were oppressed, the more they increased and spread out. Exodus chapter 1, verse 12. Accordingly, the king resorted to more barbarous measures. To achieve immediate and certain regulation of the population, he decreed the murder of all newborn Israelite males. The obligation to commit this infanticide was thrust upon the midwives. Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Midwifery in Egypt was one of the few possessions open to women. Its practitioners seem to have been held in esteem. It must have been a regular institution in Israel to judge by the matter-of-fact way in which the presence of the midwife is mentioned. See Genesis chapter 35, verse 17, and Genesis chapter 38, verse 28. Very good. Now, the one one good thing about this article, even though it's Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, is they use the term Israel, not Jew. <laughs> okay. The Jews yeah. were not in Egypt. The Israelites were. Back to you. It would appear that in addition to attending the mother at the time of birth, the midwife cut the umbilical cord, washed the baby in water, rubbed its skin with salt, and swaddled it. In the case of twins, she had to testify as to which was the firstborn. Now, I assume that the salt was uh, uh, to kill germs. I can't imagine, because you know, it, it might have been painful, you know, on fresh skin to rub the baby with salt. You know, if you if you rub salt into an open wound, it burns. 
<laughs> All right. But uh, <clears throat> probably knew how to do it carefully. Back to you. In issuing his decree to the midwives, the king obviously relied upon the ease with which the baby could be killed at the moment of delivery by means not easily detectable in those days. What is not clear is whether these midwives were Israelite or Egyptian women, for the Hebrew text can be rendered Hebrew midwives or midwives of the Hebrew women. It would have been strange for the king to have expected the Israelites to kill the males of their own people. Yes. Another oddity is that only two midwives are mentioned for such a large population. Either they were the overseers of the practitioners and were directly responsible to the authorities for the women under them, or the two names, Shipra and Pua, are those of guilds or teams of midwives called after the original founders of the order. Very interesting. At any rate, the names are Semitic. Yeah, okay. Very good. Excellent information here when it's correct. <laughs> All yeah. right. Yeah. What is remarkable is that the names of these lowly women are recorded, whereas by contrast, all the powerful reigning monarch is veiled in anonymity. In this way, the biblical narrator expresses his scale of values. All the power of the Pharaoh, the outward magnificence of his realm, the splendor of his court, his colossal monuments, all are, in the ultimate reckoning, insignificant and they must crumble into dust because they rest on foundations empty of moral content. Seven times in this brief episode, in the, term, the term midwife is repeated, an index of the importance that Scripture places upon the actions of the women in their defiance of tyranny and in their upholding of moral principles. The midwives, fearing God, did not do as the king of Egypt had told them, they let the boys live. Okay, Exodus so obviously these midwives are, are Hebrew women. They're Israelite women, no doubt about it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Faced with an irreconcilable conflict between obedience to the sovereign's depraved law and allegiance to the moral law of God, the midwives chose morality. Their noncompliance with the law, however, was not publicly announced, but privately affected. They could not disclose the truth in response to the Pharaoh's interrogation because they would have been removed from a situation in which they could save lives. Thwarted once again in his evil designs, the Pharaoh then enlisted all of this people in a national effort to annihilate the people of Israel. All newborn males are to be drowned in the River Nile, Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. That decree is ultimately tinged with irony. For the very agency of destruction that he chose, water, eventually carries the instrument of his own punishment, the infant Moses, into the arms of his sister. And also uh, the punishment of the later Pharaoh that drowned in the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, right? So, very good. Uh, very, uh, pretty good introduction to the uh, first chapters of uh, Exodus. So, let's go there, Dan. Exodus right, chapter let's 1. Do it. Yeah. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly. 
and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. So get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Okay, and, uh, what did the article, did they say who was the Pharaoh that knew not Joseph? Was it Ramses too? Or? I thought it was Ramses too. yeah. Okay, all right, so <laughs> let's go with that assumption. Okay, all right, back to you. All right. Uh, I was actually looking that up, but uh, yeah. verse 13, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives of which the name of one was Shipra and the other and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when ye, shall, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwife said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dwelt, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. End of chapter 1. Okay. So, you see, it's, it's not always bad for women. <laughs> right? Feminists always assume that men get all the good stuff, right? No, no, we don't. Not it's in actually, this case. No, no. And, uh, and most of the time, uh, you know, except for the Jews, women uh, don't have to go to war. The Israelis make their women go to war. And uh, that used to be an exception, you know. So, so there's a trade-off, you know. There's some good and some bad, uh, bad, you know, for both men and women in our mm -hmm. society. But obviously, the uh, bringing up of children and birthing children is one of the most important functions of uh, Israel. And uh, you know, women are more capable and uh, understanding of what needs to be done in that case, and men aren't. So men get the harder work. You know, the making of the bricks, right? And that's been the case for our people for all of history, you know, except in this age of feminism, where uh, you know, the men do the more dangerous work. So there's no advantage to being a male in society. There just isn't. Uh, I don't know what the rates are, but it's very obvious that men die of work injuries at a much higher rate than women. Okay, so there, there's no there's no advantage to that. 
the only thing the feminists are worried about is power, and they see all the power being in the boardroom of the uh, of the corporations, right? Yeah, well, but uh, even there, the men had to work really hard, you know, like 52-hour days to get where they're at, right? And the feminists don't want to work that hard. Back to you. Chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I draw him out of the water. Okay, so if the Pharaoh was black, as many people uh, want us to believe, and Moses was obviously white, <laughs> would have, Moses, she could not have hid Moses, right, in the household of Pharaoh. There's no way that could have happened, right? Would have stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, Amos and Andy would have noticed. <laughs> Right, they, they, they mo damn for sure, damn for show would have noticed, <laughs> right? Yep. What do they take us for? Anyway, back to you. Verse eleven, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Uh-oh. The, the, the grapevine. <laughs> Everybody yeah. knows. Everybody knows. I got to get out of town. All right. Now, but notice. Uh, uh, yeah, I just, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, just notice, uh, who, made, who made you a prince over us? Well, uh, uh, that's kind of prophetic, isn't it? <laughs> right? Yep, it but he was trying to prevent uh, two Israelites from fighting each other. And, of course, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> we, we have been fighting each other for the last 6,000 years. Unfortunately, and that, that has to stop. That has to, and it will stop, but not until the second coming. I just don't see our people having the maturity to stop inflicting violence upon each other. Back to you. 
Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Median. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Median had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us, and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Okay. Now, uh, several things here. This is the land of Midian. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham and his wife Keturah. Okay. So, the, again, these are not blacks. These are, these are Israelites. Uh, well, not necessarily Israelites, but Abrahamites. Okay. And rule means a friend of God. Okay. And uh, there was an Edomite that bore that name uh, later on in, in Scripture, but this is not that person, Ruel. And I think it's actually a title, and his actual name is Jethro, but uh, maybe I've got those two mixed up. So anyway, he's known by those two names, Ruel and Jethro. He was a Midianite, and therefore Zipporah, his daughter, was a Midianite. Uh, very closely related to Moses because they have the same, what, what would it be, great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, back to you. And that's important to point out because I've also heard the, the BS that Moses married outside his race. And that's that right. proves it's not true. Right. <laughs> All they have to do is check the genealogies, but they never do that. Yep. Yeah. Verse 23, and it came to pass in process of time, that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So groaning, this is a very important concept here. The, the, we Israelites have to groan with pain before we finally return back to <laughs> Yahweh, right? I mean, that that was the case in the book of Ezekiel, and it's the case again today. Our people are groaning with shame and pain. We have to realize that we are a sinful nation, and we must beg Yahweh for forgiveness. And until we as a people, and those of us in identity are the only ones who are really cognizant of this fact, that our race is being destroyed by yet uh, uh, another instance of Edomites, Canaanites, Hittites, and of course Ashkenazim, who are uh, a, now now you want to talk about Asiatics, Mongolian-blooded Khazars, who are oppressing us with their global medical tyranny and banking tyranny. But but our people don't know that they're slaves. They don't know that they're being oppressed. They don't know they're being murdered this time the fluid is being injected into us rather than drowning in it, right? 
so we're oppressed yet again, and our people don't understand it, Dan. They don't know it. They don't realize. It's incredible. They don't realize that they've been <laughs> enslaved and are being murdered as we speak. Yeah, and we have to go through these bad times before people ever do notice it. I mean, really bad times. Yeah. I, I, they're coming. Yeah. I mean, how much worse we, can it get? It, it, it seems <laughs> like we're being gradually just – Yeah. Yeah, the life is being squeezed out of us gradually, a yeah. little bit at a time, a little bit of time. And now with this vaccine, you know, who knows what that's going to do to people within the next five to ten years. Like we were talking before the show, you know, many of them may, you know, may die from it. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So, chapter three. Unless you had something else to say about no, it's just uh, I, I'm just astonished that uh, our people are can be so gullible and, and not have any I don't know any awakening going on. I mean, uh, well, uh, let's put it this way: uh, uh, the the wine press in the Book of Revelation is the wine press of His wrath, <laughs> right? And as mm-hmm. our people get squeezed in the wine press. Our blood is running out of the wine press. Maybe, maybe that's how brutal it has to get before the majority of our people will wake up. And those who are taking the shot and dying from it, they're not going to wake up. Okay? I don't know why anyone would go out and get a vaccine that hadn't even been tested but right? for a few months. Yeah, yeah we are and, the test. And this illness has a 99.3% survival rate. What are right. you so scared of? Yeah, right. It's a fear. It's the uh, it's the fear mongering. You know, people Exactly. It's rumor. Yeah, I hear a rumor. Oh, there, there's a there's a, a tornado coming. Okay. You look up and there's a clear sky. Where's the tornado? It's coming. It's coming. Well, you know, well, when it comes, I'll prepare, but I still don't see it yet, right? Uh, it's fear, mm-hmm. it, it, manipulation of fear. I mean, it's so easy. You, you think we're a bunch of sheep, <laughs> right? And somebody cries <laughs> wolf. That's how easy it yeah. is to scare people. <laughs> All right. And, the, and and walking around with these silly little masks on that don't do a <laughs> bit of good. Right? Uh, uh, uh. You know, the sheep, the, 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 at least you can hear the sheep, uh, you know, baying right through their masks. <laughs> My goodness. All right. Yeah, it's sad. Yes. Chapter three. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Median. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst okay, of the Okay, now this is Yahweh. This is Yahweh. Okay. No, Moses didn't know Yahweh. He was introduced to Yahweh by, by rule because he was a man of Yahweh. So the Israelites forgot his name while they were in captivity for 400 years, okay, in Egypt. So now Moses is uh, relearning, oh, uh, our, our God has a name, and that's Yahweh. Back to you. And the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Okay, so very clearly uh, Moses is being taught the name, which uh, is uh, in Roman, well, no, in capital letters, Y-H-W-H, meaning Yahweh, okay, but uh, the meaning of the name is, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. I am whatever I choose to be, basically saying that he is the creative power. He can do anything he pleases, and he will, <laughs> right? And uh, that's what that name means. So only Yahweh has that name, unlike the, uh, the Judeo-Christians who say, well, uh, he doesn't have a personal name because there's no reason. No, he, he's giving us his personal name right here. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I guess they don't read their Bibles, <laughs> right, to come up with ridiculous opinions like that. All right, back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Verse 15, And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Yahweh God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, Yahweh God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and say, and you shall say unto him, Yahweh God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days journey into the wilderness, 
that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and every and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. Okay, so this is payback for the 400 years of slavery <laughs> that they had to endure under Egyptian rule. So, again, uh, secularists c- criticize Yahweh God, call him a thief, because he took all this stuff from the Egyptians. Now, wait a minute. Uh, surely they were employed as slaves for 400 years. Surely they deserve something, right, <laughs> for all mm-hmm. that labor, okay? Again, this is these are some of the silly criticisms you hear of uh, scripture by secularists and, and also by Judeo-Christians who don't want to acknowledge Yahweh as the God of Israel. They just don't want it because he's that evil God that ordered them to exterminate the Canaanites, right? So mm-hmm. they, that's not a loving God. Oh, you don't know the story. Why are you ignoring the fact that uh, that, that land called Canaan was inhabited by fallen angels, by giants who were descendants of the fallen hybrids, and they were hybridizing everything in sight, including, you know, we'll find out when they finally go in there and attack Canaan, they had grapes the size of basketballs, right? And it took two men to carry a load of grapes, you know, on a, on a stick, you know, between them, that they were performing hybridization experiments on on veg, vegetable matter and on each other and on animals. That's what they were doing. All of this is forbidden. Guess what, folks? They're doing it again. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're doing it again. Now, now we are the subjects of their mm-hmm. vac- uh, hybridization experiments their DNA, uh, because the Gates jab is not a vaccine, it's a DNA experiment. That's what it is, a DNA-altering experiment. And it can't really I, – I just can't imagine it getting much worse, Dan. We're, you know, we're not even supposed to mix fabrics right? <laughs> in the Bible. Right. And here we are doing all this, you know, uh, mixing of races, of fabrics, of everything. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're not even supposed to mix uh, horses and mules, right? To, to produce uh, what is it? Uh, uh, what's the, what's the animal called now? Donkey? No, no, um, a mule. Uh, we're not supposed to mix horses and donkeys to create mules, right? Okay. So we're not yeah. even supposed to do that. All right, L- let alone mix our own DNA with that of others. Okay. <laughs> All right, mm-hmm. Dan. It just gets crazier. So we'll, we'll, well, but we're here to survive it all, and we will. All right. Thanks, Dan. Great job of narration. Thank you. Okay. See you next week. See you next week. Good, all right, goodbye, folks. Everybody. Yeah. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, Israel. I, I have a feeling the worst is yet to come. We're going to be tested. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.